G'day, we're looking at 2 Corinthians and uh, chapters 2 and 3. Uh, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed at the moment, so let's pray and then I'll tell you about it. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'll help us to understand this passage, help me to speak the truth clearly and help us all to trust you more. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why am I overwhelmed? Well, life is difficult. Um, the pandemic has been tough. Uh, there's a lot of fear, I think, when you look at what's going on around the place, when you think about what the future might be like, when you see the impact on various people. Uh, I don't feel adequate at times for the responsibilities that I've got, being a husband, being a father or grandfather, being a friend even, being a pastor of a church, being involved in ministry. I don't feel competent sometimes to do the basic things that I've got to do. Let me tell you, I'm recording this now because I've just preached the whole passage and forgot to hit record. So I'm pretty incompetent, all right? And the danger is I tend to think, therefore, I can't be used by God. And maybe you feel the same way at times, that our own feelings of being overwhelmed, our own incompetence, our own struggles and weaknesses kind of disqualify us from really effectively living as Christians or being involved in ministry. But I want to tell you, the Bible says it's not about our competence, it's about God's. Uh, it's about God being the super one, not us being superman or superwoman. Just think how hard it would have been for Noah, told he's got to build an ark. Um, he's doing it for year after year after year, and there's, there's no rain, there's no flooding, who knows what's going on, but he perseveres. Well, who'd want to be Sarah, who at the age of about 100 is told that she has to have a child? She's got to get pregnant, and then God's going to... Uh, start a whole nation through Abraham and Sarah's children. Well, who'd want to be the Israelites, including Moses, in slavery in Egypt and then trying to get rescued uh, from being slaves and go through the Dead Sea and the Red Sea and then into the wilderness where you're wandering around for 40 years on a trip that takes 11 days. I mean, right through the Bible, there's people who are, well, they've got flaws, they're weak, they struggle, they sin, they're tempted, they are serious disasters sometimes. And yet God works through disastrous, weak, incompetent people. Now Paul the Apostle, at first glance, seems like a superman. I mean, he's written half the New Testament, thereabouts. Uh, he's started so many churches, he really does seem to be incredible. And yet, he battles as well. At the end of the section we looked at last week, gets a great opportunity to preach the gospel in Troas, but he's struggling because he can't find Titus. So he gives up that opportunity and goes and looks for Titus. Uh, here in the passage we're looking at now, in, um, in chapter 2 and verse 16, he says, who is equal to such a task? He doesn't feel up for it. Well, down in verse 5 of chapter 3, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Paul is not the superman that we might think but God is the super God who works through people who are weak frail incompetent and who know it so here are three good reasons for encouragement uh, we're going to work our way through the passage we won't look at every verse I encourage you to keep reading it through uh, but let's see three reasons for encouragement the first is that God spreads his good news through overwhelmed people I'm going to read from verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. 
For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Now the picture here is one of a procession. Uh, we don't know too much uh, from the Bible itself what this procession was, but ancient historians say there was probably a procession after there'd been a great victory by the Roman generals and his armies. And so he would bring a procession into the city. There'd be people gathered and cheering and carrying on. And in the procession, there'd be a number of different people with different roles. Uh, there would be those who were captives. And the captives would be the defeated leaders of the opposition army. And they are really being paraded uh, and mocked by the people to, uh, as they head to their death, their execution. But there would also be those who are victors, um, the leaders and, and the uh, people that are with them. In the midst, people have identified the fact that there was another group, those who held incense, and, uh, and maybe they would be wafting around this uh, smelling smoke. And that was a symbol of the victory. Now, the smoke would have been a different message to different people smelling it. If you were a captive, then you would smell that as death. If you were the victor or on the side of the victors, you would smell it as life. Now, there's a bit of a puzzle for us then in the translation that we've got in front of us. Let me read to you from verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. So if, if this understanding is correct, then does that mean that we are the people or the Christians were the people who have been defeated? But that doesn't fit with the context. And let me say this, when you go back to the original language and when you look at other English translations that are more strictly following that exact words of what was there before, you find that as captives is not there. So I want to get out a pen just cross out in verse 14 as captives, and it reads like this. Thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. We are not there as captives. No, I think what Paul's saying is we're there as those who are bearing the incense. We are displaying the aroma. Well, that's what he's saying. And that aroma is the message. And so he's using this picture here as the picture of when he shares the good news. or when other Christians share the good news, some will reject it and for them it's an aroma of death. Some will accept it and for them it is life. But it's hard. And who's up for that? And who's up for sharing a message that's going to confirm some people in their opposition to God? For some people it will be death. As you share the good news of Jesus Christ with your neighbor, with your family, with your friend, not everyone's going to respond. Some will reject it. And it's a hard job to pass on a message that is one ultimately then of death and judgment. But there'll be others, friends, who are changed by that message because God spreads his good news through people like you and I who are overwhelmed, people who are struggling people who are weak, people who find it difficult. And yet, as they come to hear the good news about Jesus, they can discover that that is life and receive that life. And so, 
Thanks be to God. So the first thing, God spreads his good news through overwhelmed people. Second thing, God ministers through incompetent people. Now, I do need to say there are times when I feel quite incompetent. I look around about and it's usually when I'm comparing myself to others, people who lead large churches, people who are great uh, preachers, who, who are constantly uh, sharing the gospel with thousands of people, people who are just wonderful pastors, such insights into others, uh, looking at people uh, who have their preaching on the internet. You know, I, I got 11 views of one of my talks and I, I looked at the same talk or at least the same passage by the preacher who came after me on YouTube and he had 170,000. So it's easy to feel incompetent, inadequate. Sometimes when I think about our church, our little church, Salt, and you compare it with some massive, great mega church in Sydney or, or even in the United States, and you think, we, we, we really battle, don't we? I mean, we struggle with small numbers now. Our, uh, our tech is pretty low tech and our music's pretty kind of basic and our youth ministry, well, we've got a handful of people. I struggle. A friend of mine has such a big youth ministry, they had no campsite that could cope with them. So they went out and they bought around about 80 tents that would hold 10, to 10 people each. You see, it's easy to feel incompetent. It's easy to feel overwhelmed. What does Paul say? Well, he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, verse 1, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. And he's made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Friends, Paul's uh, commendation doesn't come as a letter from others. It seems like there were preachers that were bringing their own kind of letter of recommendation. They had their CV with them. They had something to say how great they were. But with Paul, no, his letter is written on his heart. And that letter is actually the changed lives of the people that he's ministered to. The Corinthian church is a letter written on Paul's heart. And, and be careful here because that's not something that Paul himself has done. If you come back and read verse 3 carefully, you show that you are a letter from Christ. It's Christ's work and it's the result of our ministry. Now that's important, isn't it? Because we serve in ministry, whether it's setting up and packing up, whether it's music, whether it's helping people find a chair, whether it's leading a Bible study group, teaching children or youth, whether it's preaching, whether it's singing, whether it's sharing what we believe with our neighbours and our families, we are involved in ministry, and through that, God works through incompetent people to bring about transformation of other people's lives. God is at work, and so we thank him for that. Lastly, God transforms people from death to glorious life. Now, it, it seems that uh, the people that are in the background to this letter. And again, we've got to piece this together somehow. 
But it seems like they were probably focused on the Old Testament because there's a lot said here about Moses and the law of Moses and him receiving the law that's written on stone, uh, the Ten Commandments, talking about the letter, uh, and it was pretty glorious. Uh, How did we see the glory? Well, Moses goes up onto the mountain. He receives the Ten Commandments. He comes back. He's reflecting the glory of God, and so he has to put a veil over his face. Now, Paul acknowledges that that was glorious, and yet he says that that ministry was ineffective. So glorious, it's been given by God, but ineffective. You see it there in verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory. See, that ministry, even though given by God, had no power to change people. It was just a message of death because all it did was pointed out your failures. So if you want to go with the Old Testament alone, all it would do is keep pointing the finger at you saying you failed, you failed, you failed, you failed. And so what we need is hope. And down in verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. You see, the hope is a hope that comes not through the letter of the law through Moses, but it's that which is written on human hearts by the Spirit of God. Because God is in the business not just of laying down laws, but of transforming and renewing hearts by his Spirit. That's the ministry that Paul's involved in. That's the ministry that God calls you and I to be a part of. You see, real ministry is the work of God's Spirit. It's spiritual, it's eternal, and it's glorious. Verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Friends, if we want to be part of something that's really happening, it's not going to be by turning up at a church of thousands. It's not by following the world's greatest preacher. It's not by having the most amazing band with a light show behind it. It's not through having the biggest budget or the best building. It's not through the glamour and the outward show of successful super people. Now, if we want to see real, lasting, eternal, spiritual change, then let's realize that it's got to come from God. And he just calls us to be a part of it. Share the good news of Jesus with others. Encourage them to put their trust in in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Encourage people to live in the light of eternity. Encourage them to see that there's more to life than this life. As big a threat as COVID is, there's a bigger threat beyond. So mask up, socially distance, wash your hands, don't touch your face. Um, Be careful, but more importantly, friends, grab hold of the good news of Jesus. Because that gives a hope for all eternity. Look at what he says there in verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God is changing people. He's transforming people. He's making us more like Jesus. He's doing that by his Spirit. That's what we spent a whole term on last term when we looked at Romans 12. Here's the good news. And Paul says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. See, it doesn't seem much, does it? This Christian thing that we're involved in, this this relationship that we've got with God, 
this thing that the world mocks and is disinterested in. No, it doesn't seem much at all, but with the eyes of faith, it's incredible. It's glorious. You see, as we gather together with other people at church, we are gathering together with those who are going to see it through to eternity. Those who've been changed and are being changed by God himself. As we read the Bible, we read the very words of God, the Spirit-inspired word. As we meet with and encourage our Christian brothers and sisters, as we share Christ with a friend, we are doing something that will have a payoff for all eternity as God brings life to people's lives. God is at work. If it was just up to you and me, then we might as well give up. But when God is at work, be encouraged. Thanks be to God.